Well, the 2002 movie Signs was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan and stars Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. In the movie, people around the world start seeing strange things, signs, but they don't know how to interpret them. Mysterious lights in the sky, uh, strange figures and voices, crop circles appearing overnight. What do these signs mean? Is it an alien invasion? If so, what kind of alien invasion? As it turns out, these signs do signify an alien invasion and not a very friendly one. What was originally just hinted at at the beginning of the movie becomes an all-out reality by the end. Now, why am I showing you a trailer from a scary alien movie on Easter Sunday of all days? This might strike you as an odd way to celebrate the resurrection. On the other hand, if you've ever been to Rooftop before, you know that it is not uncommon for us if you remember our Christmas Eve service last December, I used a clip from Arrival, another alien movie. High holy days, just bring out the sci-fi nerd in me. <laughs> For our Thanksgiving service this fall, I'm actually already planning on showing you a clip from Spaceballs. <laughs> Not sure what the tie-in will be, but I will find one. Merchandising. Yeah. <laughs> now I got Jason quoting Spaceballs. Um, but back to signs. Why signs on Easter? Well, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago is a sign. In raising Jesus from the dead, God gives us a sign. God knows that we're curious about the future. We want to know what it's like. We want to know uh, what's coming. We want to know we're not alone in the universe. So in the resurrection, God gives us a sign. But a sign of what? A sign of good things to come? A sign of bad things to come? If the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a sign, what does it signify? That's actually a very important question. And it's actually a very difficult question because signs can be mysterious. And also, as we'll see this morning, the sign of the resurrection can actually signify different things for different people. It kind of depends on who you are. What the resurrection signifies kind of depends on what you believe. To show you what I mean, let me tell you a story. A story from the life of Jesus. A story specifically from the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. In the story, Jesus is once again embroiled in a, a, a controversy and an argument with his theological nemeses, the Pharisees. Now, if you don't know, the Pharisees were a first-century group of ultra-legalistic, orthodox Jewish leaders. They really didn't like Jesus. Jesus was challenging their power too much. Jesus was out and about in first-century Palestine doing his messianic thing. He was healing people. He was preaching the kingdom of God. He was challenging people to repent of their sin. Uh, but he was just attracting too many followers, and the Pharisees didn't like that he was upsetting the social order. So they were always trying to discredit Jesus one way or another to, to make sure that they stayed on top of the religio-social heap. They were always kind of drawing him into arguments. But here's the thing. Jesus is really smart. And he would just beat them every time. They'd try to pick a fight, and he, he would just beat them. They would lay down a trap, and Jesus would just kind of nimbly like walk right through it. In this story, though, the Pharisees decide to try something new, a new strategy. They ask Jesus for a sign. They ask him to prove to them that he really is the Messiah. Here's what Matthew writes. 
Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Now, why would the Pharisees ask Jesus for a sign? They wanted to see Jesus do something cool, a, a healing, a prediction, a magic trick. They wanted what, what we often want from, from Jesus. You know, a shooting star, a voice from the sky, uh, some sort of miracle. I mean, haven't you sometimes just asked Jesus for a sign? You're standing out under the sky, looking up at the stars. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling angry. You just want God to show you a sign. God, show me something. Show me a sign. Show me a care. That's what the Pharisees asked for. Why, though? Why did the Pharisees want a sign? Were they earnest seekers trying to decide if they wanted to follow Jesus as the Messiah? Is that what they were looking for? Maybe, but probably not. Pharisees weren't like that. Most likely, the Pharisees were setting another trap for Jesus. They weren't interested in following him as their Messiah. By putting him on the spot... They were hoping that Jesus would not be able to perform a sign and that people would know that Jesus was a fake. You know, maybe if we catch him by surprise, he won't have time to go get his, his magic stuff ready. And he won't be able to do it, and everybody will know that he's a fake. Maybe that. Or, the Pharisees were thinking, if he is able to perform a sign, we've got our accusation ready. We'll just say that he's clearly possessed by the devil. That was a very common line of attack that the Pharisees used against Jesus. He's doing all these things by the power of the devil. Oh, you see how Jesus just gave that blind man sight? He did that by Satan. Now, the absurdity <laughs> of that argu argument should be obvious. I mean, why would the devil do good things with his power in the world? It makes no sense. But the Pharisees are desperate so they decide to try it, and that's why they ask him for a sign. Jesus knows this, though. Again, Jesus, smart dude. He knows the Pharisees don't really want a sign. They're just laying a trap, which is why Jesus responds the way he does. Here's what he says. Jesus answered, Oh, you want a sign? A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, Son of Man, that's Jesus, another title for Jesus, Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you might not know what the heck Jesus is talking about here. I mean, Jonah, who's Jonah? Sign of Jonah, what's that? Jonah was a figure in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And in the book of Jonah... Uh, the story is told of the prophet Jonah that God tells Jonah to go preach to the ancient city of Nineveh. Right. Jonah really doesn't want to go do that. He doesn't like the people of Nineveh. He decides to get on a boat and not do that and go the exact opposite direction. Uh, God, though, decides to catch up to him, sends this great fish to go swallow Jonah, hold him in his stomach, and then swim back to shore. This is me swimming back to shore, and then spits Jesus up on the seashore. At this point, Jonah realizes, I am not getting out of this. So he goes and preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh responds well to the message, and God spares the town. Now, at this point in his life, Jesus hadn't died yet and hadn't been resurrected yet. He knows he will be, though. 
He knows he will die, be buried in the ground, be raised three days later, and he calls this coming resurrection the sign of Jonah. Jesus sees a parallel between what he knows will happen to him and what happened to Jonah. Just as Jonah was left for dead in a fish and then spit back up on dry land, so too Jesus will die and then come back again. That's the sign of Jonah. And as Jesus says, that's the only sign that the Pharisees are going to get from Jesus. No magic tricks, no shooting stars, just the sign of Jonah. He's not going to give them nothing else. He knows it's a trap. Now, undoubtedly, this frustrated the Pharisees. I mean, foiled again. Man, we can't get anything from this guy. No sign. Jesus doesn't want to give them any ammo. At the same time, and this is actually key, he does promise them a sign. He promises them the ultimate sign, the sign of the resurrection. He promises them that if they're really looking for a sign, they're going to get it. He's going to die, he's going to be buried in the the ground, and he's going to rise again from the dead a few days later. And in giving them this sign, he's going to signal to them that he is who he says he is and that something greater is coming. This is why we use signs, right? Signs are signals, oftentimes with cloaked meanings, telling us that something important is coming. Road signs use symbols to tell us what's coming and what we need to be prepared for. Merge here. Stop here. Watch out for moose here. Baseball coaches use signs to send to the members of their team that signs that the members of the other team can't see. Throw this pitch inside. Steal now. Bring in the lefty here. This is what signs are for. Signs are signals, oftentimes with cloaked meetings, that tell us something is coming. But here's the thing. Signs can be hard to read. Signs can be hard to interpret. In my communication classes in college, for example, I learned that different hand gestures, different hand signs, actually mean different things in different cultures. Did you know that? This symbol, for example, in America, means okay. But in many other countries, it is a personal insult referring to an unmentionable portion of a person's posterior. In America, this sign means rock out. But in certain European countries, it's actually a sign used to tell somebody that their spouse is sleeping around. So if you're in Spain and somebody does this to you, locate your spouse. (laughs) Signs can mean different things. We're learning sign language in our house, or at least we're trying to learn sign language in our house. Our son is deaf. And this is one of the things that makes sign language, or language in general, hard. The same sign can mean different things. This can mean hungry, or it can mean wish. It depends on context. Same thing to be true with the sign of the resurrection. The resurrection is the sign of Jonah given to us by God, a mysterious signal of something to come. But as far as what the sign means, that depends. The meaning of the sign of the resurrection depends on the context of your beliefs. Just as the meaning of hand signals depends on the context in which you use them, the meaning of the resurrection depends on the context of your beliefs, because everybody here this morning believes different things about Jesus. 
We don't all believe the same thing about Jesus. And depending on what you believe, the resurrection signifies different things to you. Here's what I mean. I know that's confusing. I'll just keep talking. Some people, for example, do believe in Jesus. Some people are sold out to Jesus as the only Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. You might be one of them. And in that case, the resurrection is a sign of promise for people who do believe. If you do believe in Jesus, this is what the sign of the resurrection signifies to you. It's your promise of something greater. As Peter writes to his readers in the New Testament, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The resurrection of Jesus is our promise that our lives will not end in dust. It's our signal that even though we suffer many trials here on earth, for a little while at least, these trials will not last forever. Just as Jesus' time in the earth was limited So our sufferings on earth will be limited and they will be followed by an inheritance of joy and peace that will not be limited. It will not be temporary. It will be eternal. That's what the resurrection signifies to us who believe. It's God's promise and he means it. He wants us to know that our future rests secure in him so he gives us a sign. When my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter Miranda, was getting me to commit to doing something, like playing a game later, or riding bikes, she'll ask me, try and pin me down, Dad, do you promise? And I'll say, yes, I promise, sweetie. But then she'll lean in, and she'll ask me, yeah, but Dad, do you pinky promise? And then her pinky will go up. And I know in that moment, the stakes have been raised. (laughs) In the ethical world of childhood, pinky promises are inviolable. He who breaks a pinky promise is eternally condemned to a hell of endless wedgies (laughs) and never-ending tickling. I dare not wrap my pinky around my daughter's pinky without having every intention of honoring my promise. My credibility as a man and as a father is on the line. My pinky promise is my sign of something greater. It's a sign of bikes and games and time spent together. A father dare not break his pinky promise. So it is with the resurrection. The resurrection is our father's, not just our God's, our father's pinky promise of something greater. Games, bikes, time spent together. It is an inviolable sign of promise from God that death is not the end for we who believe. There is something more. It's a promise, a sign of a promise that he's not going to break. That bond, not going to break. But like I said, not all of us believe. Remember that the resurrection is a sign that means different things to different people based on different beliefs. To people who do believe, the resurrection is a sign of promise, but not everybody believes. Not many of you don't believe yet. You are thinking about belief. Some of you are investigating belief. You're investigating God and religion. For you, the resurrection signifies something different. 
for you who do believe, the resurrection is a sign of promise, but the resurrection is a sign of possibility for people who could believe. There are a lot of people who don't believe, but could believe. They're not opposed to belief. They could. They might even be close. They might even be like at the threshold of belief. They just don't yet. People like Thomas. You know who Thomas is in the New Testament? Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. He had heard of Jesus' resurrection, but wasn't yet convinced. As he said quite famously, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Maybe you're a Thomas. Maybe you want to believe. Maybe you could believe, but something's holding you back. Maybe you want more evidence. I need more. Maybe it's something else. Maybe the hypocrisy of Christians bothers you. Their homophobia, their politics, their misogyny. Maybe you just don't like some of the stuff in the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. Or maybe you're just keeping your options open, just playing the field. Just so you know, if I'm describing you, you are my kind of person. I'm a Christian skeptic who has plenty of doubts and questions. I have so many questions about God, I wonder sometimes how God even lets me stay a pastor. It's a marvel. I don't know how I got through. But here's the thing. I've just decided to not let my doubts and questions keep me from worshiping and serving Jesus wholeheartedly. You can worship Jesus as the Son of God and still have questions at the same time. Also, and more to the point, I'm compelled by the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There really are good reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I came to that conclusion years ago. And the evidence of the resurrection opened up a world of possibility for me. I mean, if Jesus rose from the dead, what else is possible? Is it possible that Jesus was right about the promise of eternal life? Is it possible that Jesus was right that in order to receive the gift of eternal life, you have to be forgiven of your sins? Is that possible? In my skepticism, the resurrection was a sign of possibility. What if Jesus is right? What if God is real? What if I can live forever? For those of you who don't believe, don't yet believe, but might someday, that's what the resurrection signifies. It's a, it's, a, it's a sign of possibility for you. And in your quest for truth, which you are invited to continue here at Rooftop, in your quest for truth, that's what you have to stay open to, the possibility that God is real, that Jesus is his son, and that you can live forever if you follow him. That's what's possible for you. To those who do believe, the resurrection is a sign of promise. To those who could believe, the resurrection is a sign of possibility. But I want to tell you about a third group of people here this morning. Hopefully this third group of people does not include you, but it might. It's people who won't believe. People who do, people who could, and people who won't. And I don't say people who don't believe, because that's actually different than people who won't believe. People who won't believe just refuse to believe, no matter what. And in this case, the resurrection is a sign of punishment to those who won't believe. Which brings us back to the Pharisees. 
As I told you, when the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign, he knew they were trying to trap him. He tells them they are an evil and adulterous generation. No sign will be given them but the sign of Jonah. Now that sounds okay, right? At least Jesus is promising to give them a sign. At least he's throwing them a bone. All right, I'll give you a sign. You just got to wait until I die. Remember what we said about signs, though. Signs can mean different things. And in the Pharisees' case, the sign of Jonah was actually an ominous sign for them. The sign of the resurrection to them meant, watch out, danger ahead. You keep following this course and you will walk off a cliff. That's your sign. In fact, we learn this as we keep reading the story, as Jesus continues to the Pharisees. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Now here Jesus informs the Pharisees that at the final judgment, the men of Nineveh will stand up and condemn them. Now why? Why will the men of Nineveh condemn the Pharisees? Because the men of Nineveh responded well to the preaching of Jonah. When the prophet Jonah showed up and preached to the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh believed. They believed. They turned from their wicked ways with barely a sign from God. They believed. All they had was Jonah's lousy preaching. And they believed. Now here Jesus is. Jesus, the Son of God, walking around the earth, doing miracles, healing people, walking on water, turning water into wine, talking with authority, healing people, doing everything he can, and the Pharisees still don't believe. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that the Pharisees, with Jesus, like in living color, right in front of them, still don't believe? How is that possible? Because they won't. They've decided they won't believe. They're just too committed to their power, to their worldview, to their opinions. Jesus knew this, which is why he refused to give them anything. It would be wasting a miracle. To them, the resurrection is a sign of judgment when they will all get what they asked for. They will be allowed to live in their sin separate from God forever. That's hell, by the way. That's what hell is. Hell is being allowed to live in your sin separated from the love of God forever. There's actually a lesson for us here. There are people in the world who just won't believe. They've decided they don't need Jesus. They've decided they don't want Jesus. And frankly, there's nothing God can do in their lives to make them think otherwise. For example, I know the, the leader of a local atheist organization here in St. Louis. Uh, he's a great guy. I love him and respect him. Uh, even in, in his atheism, of course, Jesus didn't say, hey, love those who believe in me. Jesus said, love everybody. And this, this friend of mine, he was actually telling me over coffee a while back about a quote-unquote spiritual experience that he had when he was overcome by the presence of a transcendent power. He was immersed in feelings of gratitude and joy. He said he had never experienced anything like it, to be transported to such a place of peace and gratitude. Maybe you've experienced something like that at some point in your life. 
And I looked at him, and I asked him flatly, I said, how can you have that sort of experience that you've just described to me and not believe in something greater? How can you have that sort of experience and not believe in God? And he put his coffee down, he leaned forward, he cocked his head, he took a breath, and here's what he said. Brain chemistry. Our brains fool us into thinking that God is real. Now, to be clear, I believe in brain chemistry too. I use it every day. <laughs> but I also believe that God is real. Hopefully you get my point though. There are people who, no matter what they see or experience, won't believe. They will interpret everything through their paradigm of unbelief, like brain chemistry, like the Pharisees. If Jesus had performed a miracle, they were prepared to conclude that he did it by the power of the devil. That's how committed they were to their beliefs. Sadly, there's very little that God can or will do for people who won't believe. Some of us, even some of us, are so committed to our opinions. Let's be honest. Some of us are so committed to our opinions that there's nothing God can do to change our minds. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't try. And that's what's great about God. He loves us too much to give up. Even if you're sitting with us here this morning and refuse to believe, God's not going to give up on you. Until the final judgment, God doesn't give up on anybody. Even the Pharisees got a sign. And it's worth pointing out that some of them became Christ's followers before it was too late. Even the person most opposed to following Christ will get an honest chance. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I love the movie Signs. And I'll leave you with this this morning. If you've seen the movie, you know it's not really a movie about aliens. It's actually a movie about religion. The protagonist of the movie, played by Mel Gibson, was a, a Christian priest until he lost his faith. After his wife died in a terrible accident, he renounced his faith in a God who would ever let that happen. He decided he didn't believe anymore. He decided he couldn't believe anymore. He might have even decided that he wouldn't believe anymore. But during the movie, he wavers. We see him wrestling with all kinds of signs that may or may not mean anything. He doesn't want to believe they mean anything. He gave up his faith, but he can't shake the possibility that they do mean something, that these are signs from God drawing them back to faith. And as he and his brother Merrill are talking about what these possible signs mean, if they mean anything, at a key moment in the movie, he asks his brother this question. He asks, what you have to decide is what kind of person you are. Are you the type who believes in miracles, looks for signs? Or are you the kind who believes things just happen by chance? I won't spoil the movie, but he gets his answer. The sign of the resurrection should compel us to ask the same question. What kind of people are we? Do we believe in signs? Do we believe in miracles? Do we believe in resurrections? Do we, could we, or will we not ever? Do we believe that the witnesses who say they saw Jesus alive again after they saw him buried, do we believe them? Were they crazy? Were they right? 
The resurrection is a sign, but as to what it signifies, that's up to you. For us who believe, it's our Father's pinky promise to us that we have something greater to look forward to. For us who could believe, it's a sign of what's possible through faith in Christ. But for us who won't believe, it's God's sign that eventually, someday, he will finally leave us alone. The men of Nineveh will rise up to judge us for ignoring such a miracle as a man rising from the dead. So my question for you is a simple one this Easter morning. What do you believe? You know what I believe. With all my doubts, with all my questions, I still hold on to the pinky promise of the resurrection. You will never clutch it out of my cold, uh, dead, lifeless pinky. But what about you? You're the one whose beliefs here matter this morning. Answer that question. Do you believe? Could you believe? Would you believe? If not, why not? Have you ever wanted a sign from God? Have you ever stood under the stars and begged God for a sign? Show me something. Show me a care. Show me you're there. He gave you one. In the resurrection, he gave you a sign. He didn't give you a shooting star, didn't give you a voice from heaven. He gave you something better. He gave you a man who rose from the dead to speak with a mouth like ours, telling us in words we can understand that he's real, that he loves us, that he's coming again. That's your sign. Could be the only one you ever get, but it's enough. It's a sign of promise, possibility, and punishment. It's a sign of Jonah. Don't miss the signs. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for signaling to me, to us, what is to come. The resurrection is our signal of something greater to come. It's a bit mysterious. Sign of Jonah. Jesus kind of keeps things mysterious sometimes to test our resolve, our open-mindedness. But we know what he was talking about. He was talking about his resurrection, and for us it is a sign of something greater to come and the importance of being prepared. I used to be a baseball coach for a long time. It would drive me crazy when my players would miss the signs. Steal now, and they stand there. Don't go and they steal. The signs are on the roads for a reason. Let us know where to go, how to get there. Sign of the resurrection. It's a sign we don't want to miss. It lets us know that our lives are not hopeless and that our pain will at some point end and certainly not in death. Thank you for that sign. Of course, we all interpret it in different ways. For some of us, it's a sign, a promise. For some, of possibility. And for some, punishment. I pray that we here at Rooftop can be a place where people can ask those questions, express their doubts, figure out what the resurrection means to them. 
but for my sake, help me respond to the sign of the resurrection however I can by patiently waiting until you return and getting myself ready, my soul ready uh, for what you have prepared for me in heaven. This is victory day for Christians, but it's your victory, Father. It's a demonstration of your power, and we're grateful to witness it. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead.